Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea, sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, <clears throat> after the likeness, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruit fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed in, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word that you've given to us. We thank you that you have given us your testimony of how you created this world. 
Lord, of the fact that you spoke it into existence and it was by your awesome power that it all came to be. So I pray today that as we look at what you have said here, as we look at this creation story, that you would give us awe in our hearts. Lord, that we would see how small we are in compared to your awesome, mighty, and glorious power. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us today, that you would humble us by your word, and, Lord, that we would be sanctified and grow closer to you and more like Christ our Savior. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we have here in the beginning of the Bible, the first book, the very first chapter of the Bible, an account of where all that we see, everything that we look at, and even all the things that we cannot see, where they came to being, how they were made, and where they were from. It is a display of God's eternal existence, His great and awesome power, and His ownership of all things. It also lays the groundwork or the foundation by which the rest of Scripture is framed. God created with a purpose and a goal. The universe we live in does not exist on the whim of God or because he was bored or he was lonely. God created the world very good, knowing it would be thrown into chaos because of the sin of man, his very special creation, for the purpose of glorifying the name of his holy, beloved son, Jesus Christ, through whom the salvation of man from his sin comes. The creation account of Genesis is a simple presentation of factual events telling us of the origin and history of life, of mankind, of the earth, and of the universe. And so let's turn to verse 1, and we'll begin the study. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this marks the beginning of all things. Before time, matter, or space existed, God existed. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalms 90, Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then let's turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the, first of the dust of the world, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was his daily delight, daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. So we see here that this is wisdom speaking. Wisdom is declaring that it was possessed by God, and it was at the very beginning of his work. So God in his wisdom has always existed before, from everlasting to everlasting, and he was not created, but he is the creator of all things. Of Christ in 1 Peter 1.20, it says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So we know that Christ in the triune Godhead was there with God at the creation of the world because he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So it is before time, matter, and space, God existed and only God existed. So we also see here in Genesis 1.1 that everything that was made was made from absolutely nothing. In Hebrews 1.10, it says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. In the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. By foundation, it's being everything necessary for the creation of the earth. And we also find reference to the foundation of the earth in Job chapter 38. Job 
Job chapter 38, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So we see here in Job 38, it says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? It was God who set forth the foundation. He laid the foundation upon which he built everything else. In Romans 4, uh, verse 16, Romans 4, 16 and 17, it says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be granted to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of, of the God in whom we be, he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. So we see here that God calls into existence the things that do not exist. Everything that we see did not exist at one point. There wasn't specks of dust out there that God used to make the universe, but he called everything into existence by the word of his power. And so here it is by his word, by God's word, that he calls into existence what does not exist. In the beginning, it says, God created the heaven and the earth. And so the heavens here depict the immediate visible sky above the earth. The highest heavens are outer space. They come into existence later and they are stretched out as it describes multiple times in Isaiah on the fourth day. Verse 2. says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So at this point, the heavens and the earth were created in verse 1. They were in a chaotic state. They were shapeless state full of darkness. And this isn't darkness as in evil or sin, but they were without light. The Spirit of God then maintains this disorderly chaos. Even at the beginning on the first day, What existed required God's power to continue to exist. Psalm 104, verse 24 through 30, it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Without God sustaining all things, they return to the dust. It is by God's power that anything that exists is created It's also by God's power that anything that exists continue to exist. And it also is by God's power that the things that exist will cease to exist one day. Even life on this earth ceases to exist when God withdraws his breath from that creature. As it says in verse 30 there, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. Or actually verse 29, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die. Colossians 1, 15-17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So it is by the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that all things are held together. 
even here at the beginning of creation, after the first day, that God is still, at that point even, having to hold everything that he has created together by his awesome power. So it is God who holds all things together, who keeps everything from spinning out of control and from ceasing to exist. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said. The description of God speaking at this point does not mean that he created the heavens and the earth in verse 1 without the word. God's act of creating is speaking. John 1, 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we see that it was through the word of God, that is, Christ Jesus ourself, himself, that everything that is created was made. The eternal word, Christ Jesus, has always existed. And God created all things by the word. Christ was not created, but Christ is the creator. As we read earlier in Colossians 1, it is by Christ that all things were created. It says in Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And just as it was an act of the eternal word, Jesus Christ, to create the world, so it is an act of the same eternal word to create new hearts within people. Amen. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing in hearing through the word of Christ. So even today, God is still creating new life in this world, new spiritual life in the hearts of believers, the hearts of his elect, through the word of Christ, which is preached and proclaimed by faithful men every day. Here in verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. Out of the dark chaos, God creates that which is necessary for all life, both physical and spiritual life. Light is necessary for our physical life. Man, plants, animals, all require light to exist. Without it, plants can't photosynthesize. Without it, man can't get necessary vitamin D. Without light, we wouldn't be able to see anything. We would be groping about in the darkness, not being able to see. The light of Christ is also necessary for our spiritual life. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6, it says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it is the light of God shining in our hearts, illuminating our hearts, giving us faith to believe in Jesus Christ, the creator of this world, the great, awesome, and mighty God. It is the light of Christ shining in our hearts that drove out the darkness of our sins. And just as the light from God that God created at creation drove out the darkness, so does the light of Christ drive out the darkness of our sins. And also we see here in verse 3 that God creates light before creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. God is the source of light. The heavens give light because he has bestowed it upon them, not because they are the source of it. Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form light and create darkness. God is the source of light and the source of darkness. Daniel 2.22 says, tell us, or tells us that God reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Also, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, Our Lord Jesus Christ alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light. And then Revelations chapter 21. Revelations 21, verse 22. 
It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty in the land. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By, the, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So in the final state, when all things come to a conclusion, God will take back the power of providing light to the world from the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he will once again be that source of light to all mankind. Verse 4. It says, And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So God's declaration of the light being good and also the same declaration at other points in the creation story are not depicting God stepping back, looking at his work as if to examine it and see how he did, but it's for our sake so that we may know that what God has made is good and is right. And if he, the creator, has declared it good, then there is nothing lacking in it. We see here that he separates the light from the darkness. Here we see the creation of not only the light, but also the natural laws that govern it. In Job 12, it says, He uncovers the deep out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. God's work of creation not only includes what is visible, but also what is invisible, those things that we cannot see and are unable to see. Just as the light we see is not allowed to coexist with the darkness, we know that when Christ's light shines in us, it will also drive out the darkness within our hearts. In Zechariah's prophecy about the Christ in Luke 1, 77-79, he declares it is because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 5. God called the light day... And he called dark, in the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Here God establishes the cycle of day and night in balance. The creation of day and night, of, and night cycle foreshadow God's plan of man falling from perfection and being cursed with a dying body that will need daily rest from its work. Genesis 3, 17 to 19 And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And we know from our own experience... And from Ecclesiastes, that work is a vexation. Ecclesiastes 2.23 says, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And then in verse 5, it says, There was evening and there was morning the first day. God establishes a literal day as we know it. There is no room for an interpretation of the days of creation being vast amounts of time. God could have created all things in a moment or over a vast amount of time, but instead he sets forth the example we are to follow, that of working for the Lord and resting in the Lord. Verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God now begins to form the earth by creating the atmosphere, separating the waters on the earth and the waters in the heavens. The heavenly waters may be contained in clouds or icy comets or possibly any other type of debris or manifestation of water somewhere above the atmosphere, out into space. If you're looking for 
more information on the scientific information about the creation, I suggest you look at creation.com. They have many useful and great articles there. And then we see that God says, and it was so. Indicates the power and the majesty of God. He spoke and it happened. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Here God miraculously forms the earth to expose the land and make a place for the waters. God forms the heights of the mountains and the depths of the seas. The law of gravity takes root, and the waters obey, and they go to its place. Job 38, 8-11, it says, Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garments in thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. So God brought the mountains up from the depths of the sea. He set the boundaries of the seas and the limits of the oceans and said, you will not come any further. Psalm 33, 6 and 7 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. The exposed earth from the third day was barren and without any vegetation and without the capability of producing anything until God bestows it the ability to bring forth plants and vegetation and trees. Not just the potential. God didn't plant seed with expectation. The earth was immediately filled with all sorts and kinds of vegetations in all stages of life. On the sixth day in Genesis 1, 29 through 30, God created a mature Adam and Eve who would need to eat, and God presented them the fruit and the plants to them for their food. Genesis 2, 16 to 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here the trees created a few days earlier already had fruit on them to eat. Even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. So when God created the vegetation, when God created the trees, he didn't create it with potential to happen. He didn't plant seeds, but it was by his power that he created plants and vegetation as we see today in all stages of maturity in all stages of life. And God endows the vegetation and the trees with the ability to produce seed and to propagate. God placed within each kind of plant the ability to produce according to their nature. Even to this day, it is the power of God's word that brings life to the seed and causes it to grow. And if we look outside, we will see that it is all, everything that we see came from that initial creation time. It is all propagated from that point. Verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. For the first three days of creation, we know that there was evening and there was morning. But up to this point, the stars of heaven did not exist. There was no sun or moon to shine light on the earth. God himself was the source of light and the determiner of evening and morning, and what constituted the beginning and the ending of a day. The purpose of the sun, moon, and stars is to provide light upon the earth, to establish the seasons, which are controlled by the tilt and the rotation of the earth in relation to the sun, 
and to provide a means to measure time. Verse 17. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So it's at this point that God assigns the work of providing light to the, on the earth to the objects of his creation. God assigns the greater light, the sun, to provide light during the day. This light doesn't just provide the ability for us to see, but it also becomes the source of physical life. All of creation depends upon the life-giving light of the sun. It provides heat and energy to the earth. Warmth, it warms the seas. It causes the winds and the atmosphere to move and generate weather. And it provides the sustenance necessary for green plants, which provide food and oxygen necessary for life on the earth. Without the sun, the earth would be a cold, lifeless, desolate mass of rock and dust fit for no good purpose. God bestowed this, sun to the, this power to the sun. He made all life, including man, completely dependent upon it. In the same way, if any man is going to be fit for any good purpose, they must bathe themselves in the light of Christ. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So in the Lord we are light. When we find goodness and truth in us, it is because of the light of God shining within our hearts. Next, we see that God assigns the lesser light, the moon, to provide light during the night, along with the stars. God's purpose for the moon isn't only for giving light during the night. It controls the tides. It affects the biological cycles of plants, animals, and humans. It stabilizes the tilt of the earth, which stabilizes our climates. Without the moon, Provided by God for its purpose, our lives would end. At some point, something we should ask is, why the fourth day? To man, it would make more sense for the creation of plants and trees to come after the creation of the sun, which they depend upon for sustaining life. But this is significant because it shows us that God waited to create the sun, moon, and stars after creating all the vegetation because God is showing that life on earth didn't come from outer space. What comes into existence later, the stars, cannot cause what come before it. The creation of vegetation before the sun, the moon, and the stars demonstrates that all life fully depends upon God to keep it and to sustain it. Without God, all creation would certainly fall into chaos and quickly dissipate. Hebrews 1.3, it says that He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17, you opened your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Acts 17.28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And 1 Corinthians 8.6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. And so we see that it is our dependence upon God. We depend upon Him and not what we see out in the stars. Our lives did not come from the stars, as some would say today, but it all came from Christ, and it is sustained by God Himself. So beyond the physical purpose, then, of the sun, moon, and stars, they also provide spiritual benefits. The expanse of the universe testifies to the grandeur of God and our insignificance. Why else would God put all of these stars that we see, the things we can't see with the naked eye, but in our time and age, we have the ability to peer deep into space. But God placed those things there, knowing that man would one day see them, that they would inspire awe of them. We know that it also will cause man to uh, harden themselves in their sin, thinking that they are looking back in the time of when they believe that creation took place or it happened to appear through an explosion, but we know that that is not the case. What audacity man has to ever rebel against God and to be arrogant enough to cast off his commands. He is the creator of this great universe. He has all power and all majesty. The greatness of the universe should teach us humility, that we are nothing but worms, 
and that all we have comes from God Himself, and that if we are so dependent upon Him to sustain this life, how much more are we dependent upon Him for our eternal life? God also uses the stars He created to build up the faith of Abraham and to testify to God's power and ability to sustain or to fulfill His promises. In Genesis 15, 5 to 6, it says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and and he counted it to him as righteousness. It is also by the sun, the moon, and the stars that God exposes the idolatrous hearts of men. In Deuteronomy 4, 19, God gives the command, And beware lest you raise your eyes to heavens, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heavens. Verse 20. And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Here on the fifth day, God creates the birds that we see in the air and the fish that are in the waters and the oceans and the seas and the lakes and the rivers and the ponds and the streams. God creates many different kinds of fish and fowl. Some we still see today, some that have perished in the cataclysmic flood, some that have, for various reasons, gone extinct. Inside of these kinds, God bestowed the ability for many various and wonderful species to emerge all of it providing many blessings upon man as a source of food and also as a source of praise to his glorious name. God bestows a blessing upon the fish and the fowl to procreate and fill the earth. And we know by experience in science that the seas are filled with all sorts of marvelous creatures. Just as Psalm 104.25 says, Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. Verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the field of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So now on the sixth day, God begins to finish his act of creation, starting with the animals upon the earth. He says here, let the earth bring forth. God creates the animals out of the earth, not that he couldn't speak them into existence out of nothing, but for his own peculiar purpose. It is not saying the earth was imbued with the power and the ability to randomly produce animals. But the creation of animals was out of the earth and due entirely to the powerful word of God. Livestock, likely denoting those animals useful to humans, such as domestic cattle, horses, oxen, goats, sheep, and other such animals. Creeping things, likely reptiles, insects, and amphibians. Beasts of the earth, wild animals such as lions, tigers, and bears, deer, wolves, and raccoons. And then we see that God, that it says that, and it was so, denotes the absolute authority and power of God to accomplish his purpose and his will. The animals of the earth were immediately created, just like the vegetation, in all stages of life, filling up all of creation, all of the earth, in a great display of God's glory and power. And God saw that it was good. God once again declares that his creation is good and it is right. It was formed by a righteous God, and creation itself is right and good and lacks nothing. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God here says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So here in a display of honor upon his greatest creation, God consults with the Godhead as to how man will be made and for what purpose. This isn't a consultation concerning a difficult matter or because planning was necessary. We know that God required no counselors or advisors to know how to wield his power to create anything. In Proverbs 8, 22 through 31, wisdom speaks, telling us about its role in creation. So we know that God had all wisdom and knowledge, everything necessary to create as he saw fit immediately. Also, Isaiah 55, 8 tells us about God's thoughts and his ways. It says there, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God was perfectly capable within himself to create man with great care and precision and imperfection. So God is not having to pause and consider and ponder how he would make man. Instead, God is calling attention to the peculiarity of man compared to the rest of creation. Up to this point, he has been preparing an environment to give to man, making a place for him to exist, a place full of God's glory, displaying his majesty, his might, and his eternal wisdom, all for the purpose of exciting man to worship his holy, powerful creator. We also see from this statement the plurality of the Godhead. Here, God is not speaking to the earth. This can't be the case because though man is made from it, and we are not in the image of the earth. In verse 27, God tells us who the us is. It says, so God created man in his own image. It is God himself who we are created in the image of. Here the words are spoken by God the Father to the Son and the Holy Spirit who were all involved in and concerned with the creation of man. We've already seen from Genesis 1-2 that the Holy Spirit of God is involved in the creation. And we know from Colossians 1 that Christ was as well. Colossians 1, uh, verses 15 to 16. Colossians 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we see that it was by him all things were created. And all things were created through him and for him. So Christ was involved in the creation of all things. The Holy Spirit of God was involved in creation of all things. And God the Father as well was involved in the creation of all things. We see here also that we were created in the image, in in God's image. It says in our image and after our likeness. This tells us the pattern used for the creation of man. Man was made in the likeness and image of God himself. This image was seen in the perfection of Adam's nature, right judgment, his reason, his senses, and his will. But then it was marred by the fall, so much as to be completely destroyed. Though the first man was in the image of God, all of that image has been marred and turned against its creator. And it is only by the gospel of Christ that man can be restored back to that image. Colossians 3, 9-10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So it is by the power of Christ that we are being renewed back into the image of our creator. Imperfectly now while we are on this earth, but perfectly one day we will be restored back to that same image that Adam bore in worship and glory of God. And then we see the command that God says to let them have dominion. A part of the honor that God gives his most special creation 
is the authority over all the lesser, lesser creatures of the earth. God's provided for the needs of man through his creation and allows us to live and survive by using the creatures of the earth for food, for clothing, to bear burdens, and also to enjoy. God demonstrates his love and care for man through this provision. And it is only because of our sin that man is lacking in any necessity. And even then, when men do sin, God still patiently provides for them. Let's see this in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, or you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we see here that God, as a part of his perfection, is having compassion upon his enemies and giving them the things they need to survive and live upon this earth. So the perfection of God his goodness, his love, his patience, his long-suffering is displayed in his care for even his enemies by providing what is required for this life through his creation, despite their sin against him. And this loving care is taken to the extreme whenever we consider how he treats those whom he foreknew before the foundation of the world. Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. says, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to, get, to, to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see that for, for those who God loved before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, those he set his love upon, knowing that he would elect them and then save them, he did not spare his own son. This is the love he's given to us, sinners, that he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him for us, and if he would do this, why would he not then give us all things? Why would he not take care of us and not keep us until the day of our perfection in heaven? God has done this for his people. He has sacrificed his own son for our sake because of our sins and has delivered us from sure destruction and will keep us safe, perfecting our faith until the day that we enter his rest. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It is repeated here for the sake of emphasis. And because of the peculiar dignity and honor God has given to man over the rest of creation, that man is created in the image of God. We also, we also have here an addition to the teaching of the creation of man. Through the word of God, we see that God made both male and female both created in the image of God, but with, yet, but with different yet complementary characteristics. 
Though this seems a particularly noteworthy statement of truth in our day and age, we shouldn't be so naive as to think that our current insanity of transgenderism is new. Man in his sin has always been capable of the most gross and depraved thoughts and actions. Knowing the depths to which man will fall, God declares here through his divine testimony that there are only two genders. God is the creator of man. Just as a baker knows what ingredients they put into a cake, how they mixed it, and with what quantities it was mixed, and for how long it was baked, so God knows how he made man. This testimony of two genders and the proper relationship between them is further defined in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God also gives judgment upon those who would ignore the distinction between man and woman and the proper relationship between them. In Deuteronomy 22.5 it says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And then Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So we see that from creation, God knew that man would fall into much depravity and much sin. And he tells us here by his testimony that he created male and female. And those who go outside of that bound, those bounds, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice things deserve to die, to die, they not only do them, but they even give approval to those who practice them. Verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. In these verses, God bestows a blessing on man beyond the blessing he gave to the fish and the birds in verses 22. He both blesses them with the ability and command to procreate and fill the earth, but also adds to it an authority over the creation to possess it and to use it. This further, is further explained in verse 29 concerning the vegetation. God here gives man every plant yielding seed. This would be all kinds of edibles to include tomatoes, beans, carrots, wheat, cilantro, cucumbers, squash. And God also gives every tree with seed in its fruit to include apples, pears, apricots, almonds, pecans, olives, and peaches. All of this, God has provided man in a great variety and in great abundance. How thankful we should be. Despite our sin, God still allows us to eat of his garden take from his storehouse, 
and persist in his creation. In verse 30, God assigns animals specifically to eat plants. And this makes sense, knowing that before the fall, death did not exist on the earth, and God did not create a world full of death and suffering. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So it is because of sin that death has come into the world. Also in describing the world to come under the righteous reign of Christ, which will be restored to a state similar to what we have here in creation in Genesis that God declared to be very good, Isaiah the prophet describes several scenes that would be surprising to us if we were to see them today. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And so we see here in the final state, creation will be restored back to what it probably once was whenever God first created it. So then at creation, before the fall, all animals were herbivores. They lived in harmony with one another, and they did not kill. It was only after the creation, after creation fell, under the curse of sin because of Adam's indiscretion, that animals began to eat one another. It is no wonder that it says in Romans 8.22, the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So here God steps back. He looks at what he's made. He takes in its splendor. He admires his work. And being very satisfied and pleased with the outcome, he declares, it was very good. Perfectly good, without any blemish. No fault, nothing out of place, everything in order all of it together in perfect harmony, all for the glory of God. To attribute this creation to anyone or anything other than God himself, based upon his very own testimony of how it was created, what was created, and the state into which it was created would be blasphemy. Amen. So let God be true and every man a liar. Let's pray. Father God, we... Thank you that you've given us a very simple yet astounding testimony of your creation. Lord, there is much depth in what is said. And Lord, we are able to, through study and through science and through observation, draw out many truths about your creation. And Lord, it all points to your glory. It all points to your power. It all points to your care and your love for mankind. Lord, you've created innumerable, many numerous creatures and plants on this earth, things even now that are still being discovered by man. And so, Lord, we know that your wisdom is above any thought or wisdom that man could have. Lord, your thoughts are immeasurably above our thoughts, your power above our power. Lord, we thank you for this care, for this concern, Lord, for this love that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that you even love us when we are in our sin and care for us and you provide for us. Lord, I pray that this testimony in Genesis chapter 1 would cause us to glorify you, Lord, to be fearful of you, of your awesome power, Lord, to walk humbly before you, and Lord, to Treat those that you've set your affection upon as better than ourselves, knowing that if this great and mighty God would 
love this person and save this person. Lord, that we should be very careful and loving of that person. And Lord, we know and see that you even love those who are of the world, Lord, in providing for them. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, we would not hate our enemies, but that we would love them, that we would pray for them. And so, Father, I pray that you would create in us new hearts. Lord, create in us tender spirits, humble spirits. Lord, that seek to please you and to bring glory to you in this world. Lord, fulfilling the purpose of your creation. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with this congregation. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring our pastors back to us safely. And we thank you for them and pray that you would bless them. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us all as we go our ways. In Christ's name I pray, amen.